so glad you guys could be here tonight. There's a bunch of you guys. I really uh, enjoyed what Ron had to share about, I think it was kind of a picture about life. You know, we're sitting by the pool. It's 112 degrees. It feels like we're on fire, and we don't know why. And it's because we're only sitting by the pool. We're not in it all the way. And the answer is always simple. You know, it's just jumping in the pool, being in God's presence, being in his love. I was kind of amazed because um, the other day I was, I was cutting some branches on a tree. I was pruning some of the fruit trees I have. And I cut this branch off, a bunch of them, and I, I go away because I, didn't, I was too lazy to finish the job, but I, I cut some branches. And then literally I come back maybe a few hours later, and I was amazed because all the leaves on the branches I cut, like, were, like I, would, I would just pick them up and they would just fall apart. And it amazed me because I was like, wow, it, it's only been a few hours since this branch has been cut from the tree, and yet it's bone dry. And it reminded me of that passage in, in in John about Christ saying, I'm, that, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in him is going to bear much fruit. But, for, but apart from me, you're, you're, you can do nothing or you have no ability. And so it's like that picture, you know, and, and I wish, you know, I wish uh, we always walked in that or knew that. But sometimes it's like our stubborn heart or just whatever just keeps us from from going to God or from immersing ourselves in the pool. So I, I like that. That encouraged me. Thanks, Ron, for that picture. Getting baked in the sun. You do, you do look more tan, actually. <laughs> I was going to mention that. But uh, my name is Jeff, and it's an honor to, to be here tonight in the gathering. We're going through the book of Corinthians. And to be honest, sometimes, uh, you know, when I read these letters, I'm like, man... It feels like a history lesson. Why are we studying history? Why are we reading something so old? Can't we read a, a magazine or something different, something interesting, a nonfiction? Wouldn't that be more exciting? But I realize is that this was the church. This is like our heritage. This is like, this was a time in, in which they were trying to figure things out. The church was new. And the, the thing, the beautiful thing about this is that you know, if we didn't have this, if we didn't have the record of this, then really we would just, it would be so easy to believe in our, in our own ideas about how we should do church. You know, it would be so easy to, to think about the ways that the world does things and the way, you know, it, we might have like a, a light show in here, a disco ball, all kinds of things. And, but the thing is, is that we read this because we see this is how they, this is how they worship God. This is how they they lived their life. This is how they interacted as a community. And, and that's something very important because that's what, we, that's what we long to have at Journeys, to have a church that's authentic, that's an authentic, authentic representation of a church, of a church that you see, especially Acts. We're very inspired by Acts. You just see so many crazy things. And I look at that, I'm like, man, we were made for that. We were made to see miracles. We were made to see radical things of God, for people's lives to be transformed, to, to see great acts of generosity, just to see even great boldness and faith from ordinary people. And that's what really gets me excited is that I think like that's what sometimes what 
church can be missing sometimes is that, that almost that, that newness or freshness of something so amazing and, and I don't know, I'm just rambling on and on, but it helps to keep you grounded. That's what we're going to say. But tonight we're going to be exploring an aspect of church in the aspect of generosity and equality in the kingdom of God. And I, I define generosity or I found generosity is, is really an act of love. It's, it's really a part of grace. It's, it's giving something of yourself. And it's not always finances. It could be your time. It could be your talent. It could be um, loving someone. But I wanted to, to talk about this, and I don't want to get kind of too political, but what's interesting is, is that this word equality is something you guys probably hear all the time. It's, it's, it's kind of a buzzword, equality, fairness. And there's, there's many, there was many candidates, there's people today that talk about that, right? They, want, they, they see the inequality that's happening, and they want to, you know, or at least they promise that they're going to make things right. They're going to make things fair. And it's gaining a lot of attention. In fact, you know, I'm not, well, I don't want to go into it. I've got to be careful. I don't want to name names. But the world, what, what I want to say is that the world is looking to solve the problem of inequality, they're looking for it. They're striving for it. They're, they're trying to figure out how to do that. And so this isn't like, and the beautiful part is that Paul is going to reveal how the kingdom of God handles, how do they handle economic inequality? How do they handle racial inequality? How are they going to handle um, the gap between the rich and the poor? And we see that. And I think this is the answer. We have the answer. And we're going to look at that and explore that. But first, I kind of wanted to get us started with some table talk. How would you solve the inequalities of, in the world, whether it's social, racial, economical, etc.? You can pick one for, lack of, for time's sake. And so let's, let's do two, two minutes. How would you solve the inequalities in the world? All right, you guys can wrap that up. You guys... I hope I didn't cause a political war at your table talking about different. Well, I'm going to vote for this person. <laughs> well, the, the truth is that we, there's all, sorts of, there's all sorts of answers. But, and you may agree with me or not, but I don't believe the answer is necessarily in a political figure or a governmental system or legal policy or legislation. Not that those things can't help, but I believe Jesus has the answer, and the answer is, is his love. It sounds cliche, sounds very cliche, but you think about the power of the gospel, the power of, of love, of, of being um, in common with your brothers and sisters, of, of almost erasing, in a sense, superiority, that we all come to know Christ or to be in Christ's family because of the cross. And it's what brings us all together. You look in the room, there's so many different people in this church, so much so diverse that you would think, like, I probably wouldn't hang out with some of these people if it wasn't for Christ or even being a part of this church. But I want to explain that because I'm going to explain later how you're going to see the, the difference between law and love, the law and love, because wherever there's a lack of love, you're going to see the law flourish. You're going to see the law absolutely flourish 
wherever there's a lack of love. I mean, think about a jail. There's, you're not gonna find very much love there, and that's why there's prison guards with guns that try to keep things in order. You contrast that to maybe a, a school. You don't see people, well, I guess you see people with guns, but in my day, they had whistles. <laughs> the yard duty, you could be in trouble, and they blow a whistle, and it's like, yeah, because there's love there. Or even in a church, I'll bring in a church setting. If you, if you go to a legalistic church, a church is legalistic, I can guarantee you that you're not gonna find, you're gonna find a lack of love in that church. And so it's this, it's this idea of, of law versus love, and a lot of times as humans, we want to legislate or create laws that, that try to change people, that try to make things equal, when in fact it's the human heart. How do you make a law to change the human heart? I'm sure you guys sped today, I did. I did a legal U-turn too. And, uh, you, don't, you, don't even, you don't look at the laws. It's like, you, you see them every day. They're posted, there's things, and some, some of the times you follow them, sometimes you don't. And it's just, it's just human nature. And I'll go into that later, but let's get into tonight's text. I'm gonna read from, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm gonna read from, where am I? 2 Corinthians 8. You guys may stand with me as we read God's word to honor his word. <clears throat> so in chapter eight, <clears throat> generosity of the churches. Paul writes, beloved ones, we must tell you about the grace God poured out upon the churches of Macedonia. For even during a season of severe difficulty and tremendous suffering, they became even more filled with joy. From the depths of their extreme poverty, superabundant joy overflowed into an act of extravagant generosity. Lord, I pray tonight as we gather, Lord, that you would uh, enlighten us, that you would light us upon your words for us tonight, that people would leave encouraged, to be, they would see their value, that they would see their place in the world and in your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we begin this chapter eight with Paul sharing a testimony about the, the church in Macedonia. And you may not be aware of what exactly is happening, but I'll explain some of it. But there's this church in Macedonia who apparently is going through severe difficulty. They're going through tremendous suffering. They, and they, they were actually not even rich, they were poor. And the, the testimony is that this church was very generous. They were, they were generous, and I'm not talking about and, and generous in the way of um, they were giving to the church in Jerusalem, and I'll explain that later. But they were, they were generous even in a time of trial, in a time of suffering, in a time where they didn't have a lot. And the reason why Paul is, is sharing this testimony to the Corinthians is because the power of testimony is one of the greatest tools we have. I wrote... The word of God is the testimony of Jesus Christ, but our testimony is Christ in us. And when people sometimes see Christ working inside of you, it, 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 it reveals to them, like, wait a minute, if, if God can use that person, he can use me. It, it kind of makes it more real, in a sense, to see God working in his people. And my friend told me, uh, this is a story of generosity, and uh, my friend lives in Flagstaff, he, his church is now... Well, he, yeah, he's a youth, he's the children's pastor at that church, and he told me the story of what generosity, kind of what generosity did, and, and the, 
and how testimony worked in his church. And uh, he was, um, <clears throat> I'll try to explain this, but he was, he was at this men's rally, and there was over a thousand men. It was for this camp, Camp Freedom, kind of get together. And they wanted to build this facility. It was going to cost a million dollars. It was going to be a special camp for men to, to really learn how to walk in their freedom and identity. And this is going to be built in Texas. And so he's out there, and they're saying, you know, we, we really feel like we want to be able to pay this and not take a loan. And so there's over a 1,000 guys here, and so we're asked that if it, you feel like the Lord's leading you to, then if a 1,000 of you guys give $1,000, we can cover it and pay for it and get it built. And so the Lord put it on his heart. He's like, you know what? This camp changed my life. It was what God used, and I believe that God's going to continue to do it. And though he didn't really have a lot of finances, he has bills and family and all that stuff and wasn't making a whole lot of money, he gave. So he wrote a check for 1000 bucks. And he didn't, he, you know, he was there with other people, and, and he didn't want it to make it, make it seem like a big deal. He did it in secret. But one of his buddies noticed it, and he saw, he was amazed. He's like, wow, I can't believe Glenn is giving that much money. I know, you know, he's, he's not financially in the clear. You know, he doesn't have a lot of money. He has a lot of things. And though his friend couldn't give money, it got him thinking. And so what happened is that they returned to Flagstaff, and so his friend, it's just that kind of that generosity, that infectious generosity idea was in it. It was in him, and he, and he realized, like, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm getting a new truck, and I have this old truck, and instead of selling it, why don't, I, why don't I give it to someone who actually needs it? And so his friend goes to the pastor and, and tells him, like, hey, pastor, like, you know, I have this idea. You know, I want to give this, this truck, you know, still a good truck, but I'm getting a new one, but I want to bless someone with this truck. And so what they do is they, they pray and they, and they think about who they can give it to. And there was a single mom in the church who her car was broke down. It wasn't functioning very well. She was having a hard time, you know, getting her kids to and from places. And, the, and they decide, like, we're just going to give this, this woman, this single mom, a truck. And so they bring this woman up the stage and they, and they give her the keys of the truck. And it was just tears and emotions. And it was just so, so powerful because, you know, they were able to give this truck but what happens after that is that it spurs more people to give. Another person does the same thing. They're like, you know what? If he can give his car, I'm going to give my car. You know, I don't. I have this old car, extra car, and I'm, you know, I know there's a lot of people. And so another person gives, and then after that, another person gives their car. Now, this is like at a church of like 150 people. It's not at a large church. And you just think like, wow, because my friend gave faithfully, because the Lord led him to, it, it caused this chain reaction. It caused this like chain reaction in people, and they were able to experience God's joy of giving. And that's the power of a testimony. That's what a testimony can do. And I think that's like one of the greatest, like, like I was saying, one of the greatest things we have is a testimony. And that's why Paul's writing to the Corinthians, sharing this amazing testimony of a faithful church, even though uh, they were faithful when they didn't have a lot. Let's continue in verse 3. It says, for I can verify that they, gave spont they spontaneously gave, this is the Macedonians, not only according to their means, but far beyond what they could afford. They actually begged us for the privilege of sharing in this ministry of giving to God's holy people who are living in poverty. They exceeded our expectations by first dedicating themselves fully to the Lord and then to us according to God's pleasure. So I'll give you some backstory. 
these God's holy people, which I underline, he's referring to um, the Macedonians giving to the saints in Jerusalem. And so the, the saints in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church, there was a few things going on. Um, there was some, there possibly was some political turmoil. There was uh, a drought which led to a famine. There was religious persecution. It seemed like they had a lot of widows there as well. And so they were going through kind of a perfect storm in a sense. And these churches that didn't, like Macedonia is far away from Jerusalem, but they felt like, you know what, because they're like, they are our brothers and sisters. We're going to do something. We're going to take a collection, a special collection for them and, and send it to Jerusalem in order to help alleviate their burden. And so they, they do that. They're able to, to do that. And what's even more uh, compelling is that it was spontaneous. It wasn't out of obligation. I don't know if you guys ever turned on the TV and I was in Israel. I was sick, laying in bed. And I was watching you know, they only had like one Christian channel, so I was just watching that. And like, there were some great preachers, but then there was like one guy, he like gave like this really awesome message and then started talking about giving. And it almost just like felt like, you know, he, he landed a hook in you and you're like, what the heck? Like, he's like almost like guilting you or, or trying to get you to give or make you feel like you have to give. Well, you don't have to do that. Nobody should force you to give. No one should guilt you or shame you into giving. It's, all, it's a spontaneous thing. It's from the heart. It's from love, because love is always a free choice, and God gives us that choice. And what's powerful is this, is that this church, though they were poor, they were able to, um, they were able to help someone else's, help someone else. I think a good way in our lives is that when we want to establish God's love in our life, if we want to make it real, then the best thing you can do is find somebody worse off than you and, and serve them to meet their need. And I was talking to Matt over there and we're talking about Mexico and how Mexico has blessed his life. It actually changed his life because it, it actually, when he went down there and he saw how people lived, he realized like, wow, like, you know, I, my life is pretty good actually. And I wanna, I wanna help people and it, and it shifted him to, to start thinking about being a steward of God's resources and how to use that for the sake of other people. And he's going again. There's more people going. It, it kind of it becomes part of your DNA, that lifestyle of just, man, I want to give more. I want to do more. I want to bless people who don't have a lot. And that was the heart of the Macedonians, is that, you know, they didn't care that they didn't have a lot. They just wanted to be generous. I was also saying is that, you know, there, there's a, there comes a time when you're no longer impressed by the size of your problems. You know, sometimes you think that everything's caving and the world is ending, but there has to be a time where you're just like, no long, you know, like, you know what? Like, these problems aren't that big. And I think it's at that moment where you realize that the size of your problems are really that are not that big is when you begin to like get out of that trench that you're in, get out of that depression, get out of that funk or rut that you've been in. And that's all of us, you know, we can all just get in that, you know, get in that mode where, you know, it's like that movie where there's spikes on the walls and the walls are closing in. And you're like, what am I gonna do? <laughs> this is, it's like an Indiana Jones movie. But it's like, yeah, serve someone else. Find someone worse off than you, serve them. And you'll find the joy will come, to, come back to life. 
verse 6, it says, This is why, Paul writes to Titus, he says, This is why we appealed to Titus. Since he was the one who got you started and encouraged you to give, so he could help you complete this generous undertaking on your behalf. You do well and excel in every respect in unstoppable faith, in powerful preaching, in revelation knowledge, in passionate devotion, and in the sharing of love we have shown you. So make sure that you also excel in grace-filled generosity. So it seems like the, the Corinthians have come a long way. If you remember from 1 Corinthians, they were like partying, they are getting drunk during communion, and they, they weren't sharing food in the gatherings. There's all kinds of, you know, speaking in tongues at the same time, and there was just a bunch of chaos and a bu- bunch of division in the church of Corinth, and it seems like they begin to mature, you know, begin to see fruits of, of faith, of, of them preaching the word, of knowledge, revelation knowledge of God and, and his nature, passionate devotion or zeal, even the love. They begin to even get the love down right. But the thing is that they, they were kind of lacking in it was generosity. Now, the, the second Corinthian church was a church that was known to, to have. They, they were quite prosperous. Maybe not all of them, but they were, it was a quite prosperous city. And so they had plenty of, plenty of finances. And he's writing to them. He's not forcing them because he's trying to encourage them to remember the promise they made about a year or more before in order to, to give to the saints in Jerusalem in order to help them. And it's this kind of this paradigm sometimes because in all honesty, I was, I was speaking with a missionary friend, Noah, the other day, and we we're kind of joking around. We we're like, yeah, you know, sometimes like churches, we, we get so short-sighted and we start looking in. And a lot of times you can tell that a church is when a church starts revolving around three things, and that's buildings, butts, and budgets. <clears throat> I'll say that again, buildings, butts, and budgets. You know, they, they're concerned about the size of their building, how awesome their building looks, you know, how cushy the chairs are, the, the lights, everything about it. They, they care so much. They build these multi-million dollar, I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's like when that's the focus, they have these great buildings. You go to Europe, there's beautiful cathedrals, but they're empty. <clears throat> Second thing, they're concerned about how many butts are in the chairs. They count how many people are coming to church, and they care so much about who's coming and how many people. And then lastly, they care how, how, how big their budgets are. And it kind of, if you realize, it's like, if that's all we're here for, why are we even meeting? If just buildings, butts, and budgets. It's like, why are we doing this? Don't we have a mission? Don't we have a purpose to carry out the commission, to go into all nations, all nations and make disciples of all people. That's kind of the idea. In fact, I, I had this like dream that really changed my paradigm. I, was, I had a dream, I was in Mexico actually, and in Mexico we build these houses, right? And they're like built out of plywood and some two by fours. And now there's like no insulation, there's a roof and stuff, and yeah, they're, they're kind of rudimentary houses. They're actually quite nice compared to what, what, else, there is, um, what else is down there. And they're, I'm not saying it's a, a bad house, I would live in it. But um, we build these houses, you know, if you've ever been down there, it's like not the nicest, right? You got like dogs running around and cinder blocks and rebar sticking out everywhere and trash and all these different things. And, what was weird about this dream I had is that we were like building 
like a brand new building, like multi-million dollar building, like a brand, like something that you would walk into here in, in California, right? Like a, a church, maybe not this building, it was actually nicer than this building. It was like a brand new building that you might see, a, you know, there's plenty of churches that have those kind of buildings, and if you've ever been in one, those are spectacular. And what happened was when I, when I saw this building being built, I was like offended. I'm like, this is too nice for Mexico. What the heck? Like, why are we, why are we doing this? This is, this is dumb. And, I, and it kind of revealed my heart, though. It revealed, wait a second, like, why do I think that way? Why do I think that we deserve to have something nice like that, and they deserve to have something like plywood and two-by-fours? kind of revealed that to me. It kind of showed me. It's like, wait a second. Like, what if we thought differently? What if we made, made a decision? I'm not saying we do this. I'm not saying that, you know, this is just... This is just me thinking out loud. It's like, what if we, like, actually, like, were, um, if we did church sacrificially where we didn't spend the money on a huge building, multi, I mean, these things, cost, like, buildings here cost, like, can cost, like, $50,000 a month. I was at a church in Pasadena. They're, they're paying $50,000 a month in rent, and that's just, that's just L.A. real estate. You know, here it's a little bit cheaper. Thank goodness we don't pay that much for this building. We get to rent it. It's amazing what we get here. But you just think about that. Like, what if we spent that money and, like, paid for a pastor's salary in a third world country or built something nice for someone somewhere else? It just got me thinking. I'm just trying to get you guys to think. I'm not saying we, we do that or we do something. It's just thinking of, like, what if we do something that nice somewhere else rather than here? It would be, it would be amazing. I think it would be great. But that's what it does. You know, this idea of generosity gets into you. It gets you thinking, like, it's, it allows you to not think about yourself. Moving on in verse 8. <clears throat> it says, I'm not saying this as though I were issuing an order, but to stir you to greater love by mentioning the enthusiasm of the Macedonians as it challenged you. For you have experienced the extravagant grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and although he was infinitely rich, he impoverished himself for our sake so that by his poverty we can become rich beyond measure. So he, so he shares this testimony of the Macedonians. They're this great example. And now he shares the example of Christ. You know, Christ who was he's the God of the universe who became a man, who made himself nothing. He took a form of a servant and who would humble himself to wash the feet of his, of his servants, of his friends, who would kneel down to wash the feet of, of us. That is our supreme example of servanthood, of emptying ourselves, of dying to ourselves. And I don't know any Christian that could think or live life that is all about them or, or me when we have a God that's willing to do that for us. He's willing to kneel down, to, to be a servant, to, to wash us. He became rich, or he, he was rich, but he became poor for our sake, so that by his poverty we can become rich beyond measure. So we can have the inheritance of, as the first son, as Jeff talked about a few weeks ago, that we get a share in the, in the eldest sons of Christ's inheritance for us. 
verse 10, he says, So here are my thoughts concerning this matter, and it's in your best interest. Since you made such a good start last year, both in the grace of giving and in your longing to give, you should finish what you started. You were so eager in your intentions to give, so go do it. Finish this act of worship according to your ability to give. For if the intention and desire are there, the size of the gift doesn't matter. Your gift is fully acceptable to God according to what you have, not what you don't have. And that's the beautiful part about generosity is that everyone gets to play. It doesn't matter what your ability is. It doesn't matter what you have. If your heart is right, the size or amount, it it doesn't matter. God will never hold us responsible for what he hasn't entrusted to you. It's a pretty good thing, so you're off the hook if he hasn't given you a lot. If you're broke, it's like, well, God, like, you know, <laughs> I'm broke. <laughs> I'll give my time. I know Jeff did that, right? He didn't have money, and the offering came around. I was like, God, I'll throw my life in the basket. I don't have any money to give to you today. And God will take that. He's like, all right. It's about your heart, not about how much. And I think that's, that's awesome because sometimes we think when we don't have a lot, we can't do a lot. You know, we think, you know, I, I talk to a bunch of people and they, they say like, well, you know, if I had millions of dollars, I would do this or I would do that or I would help all the poor people and do this. And it's like, well, what's keeping you from doing that now? It may not be the way you want to do it, but at least it's a start. And it's more about the heart anyways. And in fact, kind of on a random note, most people that win the lottery, they lose or they go bankrupt in a few years anyways. And so just because, just, you know, you think sometimes like, oh, God, if, you, you know, if God gave you millions of dollars, it's like, I don't know, you'd probably lose your head and spend it all on scratchers or something ridiculous like that. Pokemon cards, who knows? Book, a collection of... I don't know what I would do. I'd lose my mind, I think. <clears throat> I really would. <clears throat> I don't want to think about that right now. <laughs> all, all these ideas came to my head. There was a movie called Blank Check. You remember when you were a kid? Like a kid gets like a million dollar check and, or he gets like a check and it's a blank check and he like writes a million and he, he like buys a house and has like jolly jumps and jungle gyms and turns a house into like a playground, like a Chuck E. Cheese, and I saw that, I'm like, man, that's what I would do. <laughs> I'd turn my house into Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> yes, yeah, swing around, and that would be pretty cool, though. Maybe one day, think about that. But let's close. I'm losing my mind slowly. He says, uh, <clears throat> I'm not saying this in order to ease someone else's load by overloading you, but as a matter of fair balance, there's that word again, right? Fair balance. Your surplus could meet their need, and their abundance may one day meet your need. The equal sharing of abundance will mean a fair balance. As it is written, the one who gathered much didn't have too much, and the one who gathered little didn't have too little. Randy Ware, he's not here tonight, but he, he, he gave me some great advice, and I'll remember it to the day I die. He, he said to his kids growing up, life is hard and it's not fair, right? And, he, and you know, you're growing up, you're like, why are you saying that to me? That's, that, doesn't, that's not, that doesn't sound like great advice, but they grew up and they realized, Dad, you know, you're right. Life is hard and it's not fair. It's not fair. 
And Paul recognizes it, is that there's going to be rich. There's going to be poor. There's going to be those who have, those who have not. There's going to be inequality. But the thing is, is that Paul wasn't shaming those who had money or those who had abundance. He wasn't shaming them for, for doing that. I remember feeling that way when I went to Mexico the first time, just feeling like kind of like, God, like, why am I an American? I almost felt bad for being an American. And that's not how God wants you to feel. But the thing is, is that he also didn't want to ease someone else's burden by overloading those um, who had. He, he wanted to do what was fair, what was beneficial for everyone. And so I think the problem really isn't a lack of something, or it's not others having too much, or it's not necessarily trying to fix a broken system or play with politics or it's simply just a lack of love because that's what generosity is. It's, it's an expression of grace, of a free will choice to bless somebody, to find somebody worse off than you, to, to help their need, to serve them well. And I wrote this, it said, the government in heaven is family and it's love that holds families together. It's not the law. It's also love that when we see a need, we meet it. And I kind of talked about that um, law versus love thing, but I'll talk about that later, or I'll take that out. But the law can never replace love. You can never create laws that actually get people to love each other. You think about segregation, right? They, they have this landmark battle of, of, of abolishing segregation, of making it you know, illegal, and yet still people hate each other. People still hate each other, so they, they still don't want to be around each other. So how can you create a law that's going to that's gonna cause people to recognize the equality of, of everyone, to recognize the value of everyone? How do you do that? And that's the thing that's kind of scary, is that um, I don't want to get too much into it, but I was reading the page of a very popular politician. I won't mention names. And one of the things, everything sounds good, right? He's like, he's, you know, they were saying just, you know, they got to pay their, pay their fair share and all this stuff, equality, all this stuff. But then I read this one thing that really kind of struck my attention where it's like, oh, we want to protect the rights of the LGBT community by legislating against religious freedom. I was like, it's pretty much like that. And that wasn't exactly like that, but it was pretty much, we're going to like, we're going to protect the rights of this one group by taking away the rights of this other group. And I was like, what? That, to me, sounds not really fair. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Matt. He went to Cambodia, and Pol Pot came in. He was this crazy dictator. And you decide, you know, we're going to make a society that's completely equal. And so what he did is he killed all the intellectuals, all the rich, those people he didn't like, and he turned everybody into peasant farmers. He literally killed millions of people. Stalin, same thing, right? Put people in gulags. Adolf Hitler, yeah, he put Jews in, in, in ovens. You know, it's like when man thinks that we can somehow make things equal, it never really turns out the way we would expect. And it's because it's like the law doesn't replace the love that we have. But I want to kind of end with this as a, a table talk before I, is that 
where do you see a lack of love in our society, and how can you fill that void? So it's not just, I see a lack of love there, but where do you see a lack of love in our society, and how can you fill that void? And I put it different areas, government, maybe it's politics, or workplace, school, market, family. How do we actually fill that void with the love of God? How do we do that? How does God's love work through us in order to meet that need? So let's do that for a few minutes, and then we'll close. Let's wrap that up. I think it's easy to criticize and, and look at the very big problems that we may face in our society, in the world. I think the, the thing is, is that to remember that we have a responsibility. You know, we have the solution. And we think sometimes voting someone in or, or doing something like that is going to kind of abdicate our responsibility, but we, we have the responsibility to show people the Father's love. And it's so important because the thing is, is that most, the, I don't know, I don't want to get into this, but most people are not going to step foot in church. And in some sense, the church has kind of become irrelevant to society. That's just kind of a fact. And the thing is, is that you guys, in a sense, are more important than the person standing here. Because you're the ones that are actually going to show God's love in the workplace, in the school, in the market, in the family, in the government. Here we, you know, here this person has limited influence, but out there collectively, just think about all the people, all the people that need to hear a message of God's love, of God's acceptance, of learning truly who they are. And I don't want to go too much into that. I just want to end with this kind of story. I might have told it before. But we sing the same songs over and over. And so I'll tell the same stories over and over again. And so it's a great story. I don't know. I can't remember if I, I'm, lose, I'm getting older now. But it's a story of a man who visits heaven, right? And he, and he goes to heaven and he sees a, a long banquet table. It's fully prepared with nice dishes and silverware and, you know, folded nicely like a, Pinterest picture and candles, I guess, and <laughs> I don't know. I'm not into that, but it looks really nice. Pinterest, do you think Pinterest? And there's many people there. They're laughing. They're enjoying each other's company. And one thing he noticed, it seemed off. He, he saw that they, were, they had these really long forks. You know, it wasn't like a normal dinner fork. It seemed like a couple of feet long. And he, and he was wondering, that doesn't make any sense. Why would they have something so long, how could they do that? But as he was watching, he saw that because there was love, because there was goodwill, that people looked out for one another, that no one went hungry because each person served the other. So they didn't serve themselves with these forks. They served their neighbors around them. Now the same man, he visits hell. And to his surprise, he sees almost the same thing. He sees a, a, a beautiful table with food and candles and all the niceties. It might have been a little bit darker, but he still he saw, the, he saw the, the food and everything was there. There was people, but instead of, of laughing and enjoying one another's company, he, he saw that they were upset. They were angry. They were fighting with one another. And he noticed something is that they too had these really long forks, longer than a dinner fork. They were a couple of feet long. But he noticed that instead of serving one another, they were trying to serve themselves. 
with these long forks. And yet they couldn't do it. They tried over and over again to try to serve themselves as delicious food, but they couldn't do it because these forks didn't work. And it was because he, he realized the conclusion was is because of their great selfishness and their unwillingness to serve one another in love that everyone starved, even though their table was full of food. I think that to me, I, it may not be a theologically accurate picture of heaven and hell, but I like to think like that can either be a picture of heaven on earth or hell on earth. Is either you have people loving and serving one another, willing to think other, about other people other than themselves, or you have people that only serve themselves. And eventually it, it just becomes this picture of everybody starving, even though there's, there's plenty. And so I'll end with that. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that, that yes, we've heard many messages about your love. And maybe we don't have an accurate picture of your love or we don't understand it. But God, I pray that, Lord, that it would impress upon us, Lord, to, to, see, to see people, to see this world the way heaven sees it, the way that you see it, to see it redeemed. It's just like that song where we were singing, to see it full of love, full of life, full of wonder, that we would go out there, that we, we would love people, God, that we would break through the confusion, the chaos, the things that are happening in, in the lives of, of people and maybe even our own lives, and that, God, sometimes the, the answer, Lord, is, is just getting over our own, own ideas or, or selfishness. And so I pray tonight, Lord, that we would do something Maybe put, put something on the people's minds, on my mind, Lord, something that we could do in order to make this world a better place, in order to make it a picture of what heaven looks like, of seeing your will happen here on earth as it is in heaven. And we just pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you very much. You guys have a great, great day.